what's going on everyone thank you for joining us for another episode of our podcast i'm les and i'm mo and this is the les and mo show what's going on everyone Thank you for joining us. This is episode number 18, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, 18. Here we are. Yeah, we're almost through season number two. I know. It's crazy. Yeah. How did we get here? (laughs) Really quickly, I do want to apologize for last week. Honestly, guys, when I started editing the episode, we sounded like chipmunks. It was so disappointing, you guys. Yeah. Oh, my God. But obviously, we want to make sure we bring you guys the best quality that we can create. So now you're listening to this episode this week. So welcome back. And I just want to do a quick trigger warning for this episode. It is literally hard to digest. And uh, these stories are pretty crazy. So I'm going to let Leslie start us off with today's episode. Yeah, today's episode, guys, is going to be a little shocking, to say the least. When hearing about stories like these, it's always crazy for me because it's not often that women commit crimes such as these. Um, So for our first story, let's just get into that. It's um, a little short, but that's because there isn't too much um, background information on the person we're going to be talking about. Uh, she had some relationships off and on, but there's just not a lot about that. What we know is what we're going to tell you guys. This lady was crazy. Yeah, she, she was something else, but her name is Omaima Nelson and she was born in Egypt. She grew up near Sudan and she had a really difficult, traumatic upbringing, if you will. Uh, she was abused by her father mentally and physically and was also a victim of female genital mutilation, which, God bless her, because that is so terrible, absolutely horrible. It's essentially a female circumcision, and it's horrific. Yeah, obviously a very rough childhood. Yeah. Her, Her conditions when she was growing up were no good. No, that's such a, and it's, it's a, it's, a cultural thing for that sure yeah for that um culture but she um seemed made it seem like it was kind of a forced thing which makes it even worse but it's it's so painful for women just during intercourse and reproduction during menstruation all of that it's very very painful for the woman so not a good way to start life out She was also a victim of physical and sexual assault by multiple men after, before and after moving to the U.S. in the 80s. So despite her struggles, she became a model and she was also a nanny when she was in the U.S. And she was 22 at the time. She decided to move to California where she would be introduced to a once convicted drug smuggler and pilot, his name was William Bill Nelson. Wow, what a combo, pilot mm-hmm. and a drug smuggler. Yeah, That's perfect. so it's like Johnny Depp's character in Blow, you know, George, right. whatever his name was, George something. It's like that. But um, he was 56 at the time, and he lived the California lifestyle, the Southern California lifestyle at that. And Omaima, she wanted a piece of that action. So <laughs> she... Of course. 
you know, got involved with Bill. They started a relationship, and despite their age difference, the two, they seemed to hit it off. So most people would say that Omaima actually was the one who made out pretty well in this relationship because William was the one giving her the finer things in life. However, according to Omaima, things weren't going as well as it seemed. She would testify later on that William was kind of abusing her and pimping her out to other older men that she Whoa. called perverts. Yes. So these are allegations. We don't know if it was true or not, but she also claimed that William would accept cash, cars, rent payments, etc., for letting these men have their time with her. Wow. That yeah. could be possible. I mean, if he was a drug smuggler, uh, drug smuggler, you know, yeah. that would that could possibly be true. I mean, unsavory characters, yeah. you know, seem to have more than one MO, so very very big possibility. Just one month later on Thanksgiving Day, Omaima and William would get into an alleged altercation. Omaima would claim that William sexually and physically assaulted her and that in self-defense she stabbed him repeatedly with a pair of scissors. She plunged the scissors into his chest and stomach over and over again, but she was not able to kill him. William was still alive and flailing around, so Omaima took a clothes iron and hit him repeatedly in his head. She was then able to end his life, but her madness would not end there. Omaima then decided to dismember William by starting with his head, then working her way to his genitals. The DA's office would state that she then dismembered the rest of his body part by part. She must have realized that it was Thanksgiving and she hadn't had a proper Thanksgiving feast yet, so she decided to fry his hands in oil and boil his head. She would then place his head and hands in the freezer. She was still hungry though, so she took to cooking his ribs. She would tell a psychiatrist that she basted and barbecued the ribs and was surprised at how sweet and delicious they were. What a psychopath. Oh my god. Yeah, I mean, she's <laughs> obviously enjoying this. Yeah, that's insane. She took such a liking to the meat that she decided to save other parts of William for later. She individually wrapped pieces and placed them in the freezer and the refrigerator along with his hands and the boiled head that she had cooked. For his other body parts, Omaima would toss him in the garbage disposal to humiliate him even after his death. This was revenge for all the sexual mutilation that she had endured in her life. And that's what we had mentioned earlier. Yeah. You know, everything that she'd gone through when she was younger in Sudan. And then even coming to the U.S., you know, with how she was essayed and yep. then was used as a prostitute. You know, basically, William was his pimp, basically. Yeah. Her pimp, excuse me. Yeah, if what she says is all true, then if, absolutely. Yeah. But Omaima would enlist the help of two ex-boyfriends. They would be summoned to help her remove his teeth and other things so his body couldn't be identified. However, he would be identified after neighbors reported seeing body parts in William's own vehicle. Wow. After yeah, Yeah, and after tipping off the police... The police made a surprise visit to Omaima and William's Costa Mesa apartment, and what they found would leave many of them totally scarred for life. The body parts in the car were discovered, as well as the saved parts in the fridge, and they also saw and described a grisly crime scene that was left almost entirely intact. So, December 2nd, 1992, the police officially arrested Omaima, but it wasn't until a year later that her trial would start. 
The trial was a spectacle with testimony that had left many shocked. Psychiatrists testified that Omaima had committed this horrific crime in a psychotic rage after a lifetime of abuse had boiled over. Boiled, oh my God. Um, however, this self-defense claim would fall on deaf ears because of how over the top she went. Had she murdered him, only like maybe the judge and jury would have believed her self-defense claims, but the fact that she was so callous with the consumption and disposal of his body they only saw a monster capable of inflicting the same torment on others. So she was convicted of second-degree murder and was given a 27-year-to-life sentence with the possibility of parole. Yeah, I mean, you can't really act like you didn't do anything wrong after you eat the person. Yeah, and she <laughs> she said to one of the psychiatrists that it was delicious yes. and whatever, and she was surprised at how sweet it was or whatever. Like, you are not okay, so it really shocked me that she only got a 27 year to, to life. life 27 years with the to possibility life. of parole exactly so she can get back out yes so if she's this you know scorned Monster. woman who you know just is it a one-time thing that she just lost her shit and she killed this guy and she's gonna eat him or is this something that could perpetually go on if somebody were to do that to her again you know like it's possible I, that this was the beginning of a serial killer. It yeah. could be. And this was her first taste for blood, Ugh. basically. So Literally. <laughs> in 2006, an appeal for Omaima's sentence was open and more information as to why Omaima dismembered her husband's body came to light. She would state that she only chopped him up so that she wouldn't meet him again in the afterlife. This was something she had learned and believed in from her tradition back in Egypt. This didn't seem to matter to the courts because they looked at her time in prison and learned she had not tried to seek any type of education, didn't follow the rules, and she was not remorseful at all. She did not give a shit. She didn't care what she did, what her actions uh, were against William. She just didn't take care of business, so her appeal was denied. And it was decided that she wasn't eligible for another appeal or parole until 2026. So in about four years. Yeah. So we'll obviously keep an eye on this and see what happens with Omaima because, you know, who knows? Maybe she'll get back out or something goes wrong and she remains behind bars. But obviously, you know, we're, we're, her her crime was very serious. Yeah. She shouldn't have killed Disgusting. William in the first place. And then on top of that, she shouldn't have eat him, eaten him like that. I mean, no. like, that is insane. That's disgusting. Absolutely ridiculous. Like... Ugh, that's just too much. That's literally overkill. Like, yeah. gross lady. But she literally looks kind of like um, <laughs> not that bad compared to our next person. Right. Um, like, if that wasn't crazy enough, this one is like in Australia, and it's another woman who went mad and decided to do almost the same thing as Omaima, but with a little bit of a twist. So we're talking about the psychotic Catherine Mary Knight of New South Wales, Australia. So Catherine, she was born in 1955 in quite the scandalous way. Her mother was involved in an affair with her husband's business partner. And the two families were pretty well known in their conservative town. So the news of this spread quickly. And soon her mother would move to another town pregnant with twins. 
Catherine ended up being the youngest of the two. So growing up, Catherine had a very rough upbringing. Her father was a drunk and regularly regularly abused kind of in all forms like their mother. And he would do it up to 10 times a day at some point. Really, really bad. Yeah. So her mother's name was Barbara. And eventually things got really weird with Barbara because she would start telling Catherine and her sister like intimate details about her sexual encounters with their dad and she would tell them how much she hated sex and how much she hated men so that's like kind of a weird dynamic there really is yeah so when Catherine came to her mother saying that a man she was dating when she was a teen so Catherine's a teen and she comes to her mom and says hey this guy wants me to perform a sex act on him and I'm scared and Barbara tells her to suck it up and stop complaining So this clearly solidified in her mind that she needed to do what men wanted sexually. And that's, you know, kind of an unstable cycle of abuse for her, her mom and her sister. Yeah. And again, this really just kind of amplifies what we said earlier. Your when what your parenthood, like the way you raise your kids, like, dude, whatever you say to them, like they will believe that shit, you know? So you really have to be careful what you're telling your kids. Yeah. Like and how you're raising them. Yeah. That's not something that's not a healthy relationship for a mom to be talking she to needs, her daughter. She needs a psychiatrist about, for that. Yeah. Like not her We're really daughter. big on people getting help and seeing psychiatrists because it's okay to not be okay. <laughs> so that's seriously right. like something we stand behind. But Catherine developed a fight-not-flight mentality that spilled over into her adult life. She met and started dating David Kellett, who was a drunk and violent at that. However, if he did get into a fight, Catherine was quick to have his back and jump into the fight as well. She had no problem fighting against men or women. Catherine seemed to be the dominant one in the relationship and would often wear the pants. By 1974, the two were engaged, but upon Catherine's request, they showed up to the hunting or to the wedding on her motorcycle with David on the back. So that's what they did. And that's um, it's said that David was completely drunk the time before, during and after the ceremony. But upon arrival, Catherine's mom, Barbara, gave David some advice and she said the old girl said to me to watch out you better watch this one or she'll fucking kill you stir up the wrong way or do the wrong thing and you're fucked don't ever think about playing on her she'll fucking kill you wow thanks mom (laughs) yeah I don't know if he remembered that I don't know if he got that quite right well he he was was drunk before he showed up to the wedding drunk 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 right David said that this was just one warning he received that day. Wow. Just that <laughs> That's day. That's it. <laughs> just... After the party was over, Catherine had quite the sexual appetite. And when David wasn't able to keep up with her, she tried to strangle him. Catherine would admit to this later on. Their marriage was an extremely chaotic and violent one. On occasion, the couple would fight each other and usually it was Catherine as the aggressor. Once, while she was heavily pregnant with the couple's first child, Catherine burned all of David's clothes before hitting him in the back of his head with a frying pan. She did this because David arrived home later than expected after playing in and winning a darts tournament. He would escape the house and run to a neighbor for help. 
The police were alerted, and upon arrival, Catherine was found to be very pregnant and on her best behavior. Despite a fractured skull, Catherine was able to convince David to drop the charges of domestic assault against her, and they were once again back together after he recovered. Catherine's lust for murder only grew from there. After giving birth to their daughter, Melissa, Catherine went into a rage and decided to take Melissa to the woods and place her on a train track where she knew a train was scheduled to pass over soon. It's ridiculous. Luckily, a man known in the town as Old Ted was foraging plants and stumbled upon Melissa, saving her just minutes before the train passed. While Melissa was being saved, Catherine had gotten into town with an axe and was threatening to murder multiple people. She was arrested for the crimes that day and was taken to St. Elmo's Hospital. She was diagnosed with postnatal depression and was released the next day after recovering. David had left with Melissa to escape before Catherine was released. Upon finding this out, Catherine went insane and she found a woman in town, slashed her face up with one of her favorite knives, and then she demanded the lady to drive her to Queensland so she can find David. The woman had her eight-year-old kid in the car, but that did not stop Catherine from taking them hostage. Catherine demanded that they stop at a service station. Once they got there, the woman was able to escape and call the police. By that time, the police arrived. By the time the police arrived, Catherine had taken the boy hostage. The police were able to disarm her with brooms and take her into custody. Gosh, that's such a crazy scene. What like a, at a yeah. gas station or a service station. Don't shoot the gas tanks. Like... Just, I mean, beating her up with a broom, trying to dis disarm her. What, what yeah. a crazy scene. <laughs> she was immediately taken back to St. Elmo's where she would tell a psychiatrist that she intended on killing the service station owner because he had fixed David's car, which allowed David to flee town. <laughs> she also admitted that she was planning on killing David and his mother when she arrived in Queensland. When she was released for the second time, David and his mother were there to take her in and care for her despite all her ways. Things seemed to be better for Catherine with time, and she even got a job as a metal worker. She and David would even have another daughter together, but Catherine was unhappy with David, and she hurt her back at work, so she was able to get onto disability, and uh, the government started paying her and provided her a home for rent-free, and she ended up moving out and left David. So she took the girls and started a new life in her new place. The government gives out free homes to people on disability, <laughs> like, maybe. Right? In Australia. Man, Australia sounded promising. But, um, yeah, that's crazy. This woman, obviously, is clearly 100% unstable. Why is she not being locked up for this crazy nonsense that she's got going well, on? Well, she's getting better, apparently, now. So. Oh, yeah? She just freaking took a kid hostage with his mother. Well, that was before station. she went to, back to St. Elmo's and she got out oh, and got a please. job. and. Yeah, I don't, I'm not buying it. But right. because not too long after starting her new life, Catherine would meet David Saunder, a minor who was 38. They hit it off like what usually happened in her relationships, and within two months, Saunders would move in with her and the girls. So not too long after their honeymoon phase was over, and Catherine was back to her jealous and evil ways. She was always worried about what Saunders was doing while they were apart, so she'd often kick him out of the house, and after multiple times of this happening, Saunders decided to move back to his own apartment 
causing rage to come over Catherine to the point that she followed Saunders home and she slit the throat of his two-month-old dog right in front of him before, wow. yes, before hitting him in the head with a frying pan. So, fella number two getting hit in the head with a frying pan. Poor dog. And poor dog. Yes, what the hell? This lady's crazy. Lock her up. <laughs> but he would still take her back, though. And because of a confession that Catherine made that she was pregnant with another daughter by him. So, this prompted him to put down a deposit on a house so that they would be able to raise the girls together as a family. But even after all of the torment she had inflicted on him, she would eventually turn more violent towards Saunders as the relationship went on. After a heavy argument, Catherine lost her temper and decided to hit Saunders in the head with an iron before stabbing him in the stomach. After he recovered, um, he went to their home and he found all of his clothes had been cut up. He had finally had enough and he went into hiding, like he should. And Catherine, she tried desperately to find him, but luckily she never did. So she was never formally sentenced for any of this and she was only served with an AVO, which is, um, it stands for Apprehended Violence Order and it's basically like a restraining order. So... Um, this would lead her to move on with her life, and in 1990, she would begin a relationship with John Chillingsworth, who was 43, um, but she would have a son with him, and their relationship would go on for three years before she would start having an affair with another man named John Pricey Price, and she would eventually leave Chillingsworth for Price. Gosh, so much hopping around. She's a hopper. N- not committed at all. I mean, you know, obviously she just... She's committed. Lived this life her whole life. Her mom was living it and then passed it on to her. She is insane. She's committed to violence, committed to debauchery, and it just keeps going on and on with her and these guys. It's crazy. Yeah, she clearly does need some help mentally. She needs to get on medication and get stable. Put away for life already. She's like stabbed someone and slashed some lady's face open, like... Right. Crazy. John Price was a father of three when he and Catherine met, and he was reportedly a really good man by all who knew him. Two of his children lived with him, while his youngest lived with his ex-wife. As he and Catherine got closer, he would have her move in with him, and they would become a blended family of eight. Price's children really liked Catherine at first, and the blended family was doing well besides some heated arguments here and there. Price made really good money working in the mines and was able to take good care of them all. Catherine was still receiving disability support and was able to contribute to the household. Their honeymoon phase would quickly end when Price refused to marry Catherine. She was so enraged that she took a video of medical supply kits that Price had stolen out of the garbage pile at where he worked. And she sent that video to Price's boss, basically snitching on her own (laughs) boyfriend. Yeah. And that video got him fired from the job where he worked at for 17 years. So that that is psychotic. Yeah, he or she has problems. She jealousy and and, um, yeah, I mean, she just wants control over a person, Mm -hmm. mainly a man. She wants control over the man, so. Months later, Price would rekindle his relationship with Catherine, but he refused to let her move back in with him. 
This enraged Catherine and the two began to fight again. His friends refused to have anything to do with him while they were together. Then, in February of 2000, Catherine unleashed a vicious amount of assaults on Price, leading to her stabbing him in the stomach. He kicked her to the curb again and for what he hoped would be the very last time. He would end up filing a restraining order against her this time. Price would tell his co-workers that if he did not come into work the next day, it was because Catherine had killed him. They pleaded with him not to go home, but he stated that he had to because his kids were there and she, he feared that she would kill them. When Price arrived home, there was no one there and he discovered that Catherine wasn't there either and that she had sent the children away for a sleepover at a friend's house. Price was furious that she had made a decision about his children without his consent. But when she said she did it so they could spend some adult time together, he reluctantly agreed. When Catherine didn't show up around dinner time, Price got frustrated and decided to spend his evening with some neighbors, before returning back home at 11pm and going to bed. Catherine would end up showing up soon after and she had spent the evening getting black lingerie for the time she intended to spend with Price that night. When she arrived and found him asleep, Catherine decided to watch TV before taking a shower and changing into her lingerie. She then woke Price up for sex after which he fell back asleep, which really upset Catherine. That's when she finally had her fill and she decided right then that she was going to stab him while he was asleep. She stabbed him in the chest and in the stomach repeatedly. Price was still able to get away from her and stumbled out of bed and down the hallway. Catherine would stab him in the back multiple times as he was trying to escape her. He would be stabbed a total of 37 times. He was able to get to the front door and he almost got out the house, but the attack continued and she pulled him back inside the house where he would slowly bleed to death. Her attack was so vicious that numerous stab wounds hit his, vi his vital organs, making sure that he suffered a slow and painful death. She would then go into town and withdraw a thousand Australian dollars from Price's account. So she murdered and robbed him. Yeah, I mean, this wow. is as bad as it gets. <sighs> she's crazy. So yeah. she's wearing her little black lingerie around killing this man. Like, what a freaking psychopath. I think, I, I think she had planned to kill him from the beginning. You I don't do? think it was uh an adult night i think it was a scheme yeah to get him of, in bed alone and yeah with his guard down no kids yeah yeah very very convincing as if this wasn't heinous enough catherine then skinned price's body and hung his flesh from a meat hook in the doorway of their living room she then decapitated him putting his head into a pot with vegetables then boiled it to make a human stew she broke down other parts of his body into pieces of meat and put them into a large pot on the stove to cook with potatoes, gravy, and various vegetables. She then set the table for herself and for Price's children, who were set to arrive before dinner time. She even made name tags for everyone and set them beside the plates and silverware in a macabre dinner setting. She had every intention of feeding the children the dinner she had been making using Price's body disgusting can you imagine the thought process of you going through this like i mean i'm not you know it's insane like what yeah what are you thinking to be oh i'm gonna skin this person and do this and set oh. up a whole nice dinner like oh it's all feed it to dandy. his children what feed the it to his children fuck? bro what what are you doing 
like what there has to be no thought process behind that right or is there like are they just that yeah that we can't even imagine it and they have this like disgusting thought process like oh i want to do this oh i'm gonna she's i mean again she's sick so yeah it's just wild to me that that's something that's happens but at 6 a.m. that morning, neighbors called police because Price's car was still in the driveway, which they found strange because Price never missed or was late to work. So police decided to do a wellness check where they would find a scene that left them damaged for life, to say the least. Catherine was not there to tell the story of what happened, but police didn't need to hear it because the crime scene told the story to them. There were blood stains and trails leading all over the house, but there was no sign of Price. When they came to the kitchen, they ended up discovering Price's head in a pot first. They would also find a plate of his cooked body in the backyard that had been thrown oh through gosh. a dining room window. Police would speculate that Catherine had tried the meat and didn't like it, so she threw it out the window in disgust. Wow. Yeah, that if being a police officer and discovering that crime scene, like, oh, that, that would insane. tear you up. Yeah, that, that would tear you up, but... The police also discovered a handwritten note from Catherine that was placed on top of a picture of Price. It also had pieces of his flesh on it. The note that they found read, Time to get you back, Jonathan, for raping my daughter. You to Beck, for Ross, for little John. Now play with little John's dick, John Price. Sorry about the way that this is read, guys. This is literally how it, it's written so weird. Her, you can tell like her, her education level off. was terrible. Like they said she was a good student, but it doesn't say how long she was in school. And the way that she wrote this out is almost not legible. But those accusations of child abuse that she was spewing, those ended up being completely untrue. And even though that's what Catherine claimed, set her off to kill him in such a brutal way. Catherine was actually arrested and um, charged for the murder of John Price that same day. Wow, that yeah. is insane. I mean, good job to the Australian police though, on how quickly they turned this case around. I mean, same yeah. day she got arrested. That's insane. But Whoa. obviously she didn't really try to hide much of it anyways. And she yeah. left a note yeah, basically it's... giving herself up. Well, and that's such, like, a personal crime, too. Like, that, it's really rare for a serial killer to do something like that. So, you know, it, it's it got to be someone in the person's life. And he was already scared for his life from her, and his right. co-workers were, too. So, it, it, the pieces just kind of fit together yeah. for them, I'm sure. It's insane. It's a yeah. crazy crime scene. I don't know why she took the $1,000, though. It doesn't make sense. Yeah, well, I, I don't understand that either. Was she going to maybe flee? I don't know, but yeah, $1,000, okay. <laughs> in February of 2001, Catherine was offered a deal to plead guilty in the murder, but she would eventually plead not guilty. Her trial was set for July that same year, but her lawyer ended up getting sick, so it was pushed to October. Finally, it was time for the trial, and the jury was starting to be selected. The potential jurors were offered an exemption from duty due to the graphic nature of evidence and a handful would take the exemption. Their jury was narrowed down and put into motion. However, the next day, Catherine would change her plea to guilty and sparing the jury from a public trial. Although she pleaded guilty, Catherine refused to take responsibility of her crime against John Price. Her lawyers even tried to get her excused from the sentencing as the facts from the case greatly upset her but this request was denied. During the proceedings, she would become hysterical and would have 
to be sedated because she was acting insane. Yeah. Since Catherine had refused to take responsibility, didn't show any sort of remorse, and the extent she took to kill John Price, the judge sentenced her to life behind bars without the possibility of parole. And the judge even filed and stamped um, her case with never to be released. Literally. (laughs) Yeah, a big old stamp. Never to be released. It's insane. I mean, I can't imagine being a part of this case. You know, I don't know the full extent of, like, the evidence and all the pictures and whatnot, but it sounds insane. The fact that they gave the jury an exemption, like, as they were selecting, they were like, hey, this is going to get really intense, you guys. Like, this is going to be really bad. And they're like, okay, I'm out. Like, that's... A nice courtesy. <laughs> so this was actually the first time in Australia's history that a woman got sentenced like this. It made worldwide news. And five years later, on June of 2006, Catherine appealed her life sentence, stating that it was too harsh of a punishment for killing Price. That she was, of course, denied the appeal. I mean, there's no way. And today, hey. Catherine is 66 years old, and till this day, she denies the responsibility of killing John Price and she's being held in prison without the possibility of ever getting out makes no sense to me how are you going to deny she's obviously delusional I mean she is very sick she they finally got it right though by locking her ass up because if they would have sent her to St. Elmo's one more time after this I would have lost my damn mind because this woman is violent. She's been violent from day one, and we get right. it. Like, she's damaged, like, whatever. Four or five different guys. Yes. Like, her childhood. I mean, she... She put her kid on a railroad track. Like, she what? is way worse than Amima. However, yeah. the crime was the same, so I think yeah. Amima should have gotten the same type of sentence. But, again, that was in Australia, and this Amima story was in the U.S., yeah. I believe. Well, it's like, Amima got caught... And for one crime, and she was sentenced. This lady had a record, had a record of crimes, she was deep to and fro. Yeah, like she was not letting up. That was for sure. But um, she got life without the possibility of parole, like she should have. And I hope you enjoy your time in jail, you jerk. But <laughs> it's safe to say I have officially lost my appetite, and I have no desire to eat any meat today. So I think now would be a good time to change the subject and finish up this week's show. I literally can't stomach any more of this. So these female Hannibal Lecters are absolutely crazy and clearly they are extremely angry at the world. Wow. I just realized I'm sorry if there's any vegans listening out there. Oh, yeah. yeah sorry, holy cow. This one. That's why we put a trigger, trigger warning. warning on it. Yeah, yeah. Right. And we are holding <laughs> back in this one. <laughs> it's gross. Anyways, guys, thank you so much for joining us again for another beautiful episode. I mean, we love you guys. Thank you so much for the support. Yes. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, t- Twitter, and TikTok at The Less and Mo Show. And uh, if you're listening on YouTube, please like, comment, and subscribe. Click the notification bell so you can get updates on the next episode. If you're on your favorite podcast app, give us a follow and rate our podcast. And, um, man, this is crazy. We're almost halfway. Halfway, yeah, halfway season two. And we're going to keep it going, guys. Yeah, thank you guys so much. The more you you know, know, the the less less you fear. fear. So So tune in next week right back back here. here.